Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Ah, welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hi, Joshua. How are you? Um, well, I mean, terrible. Right, I know. There's no, there's no point in even asking the question, I, you know, but... It's, you should just it's, say, it's like, hello, yeah. Joe, you are terrible. Like, yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's, it, is, it is how it is. Hopefully, uh, dear listener, you're doing uh, as well as can be expected as well. Um, you know, that's how it goes. Um, and actually, on that subject... Uh, I do want to take a real quick hot second here before we dive in to uh, thank everyone who has ordered, um, bought one of our our new T-shirts, either the I Heart Fright School T-shirt, the, um, you know, our different witch shirts, the new Scandinavian Baldwin shirt that we did with uh, Brendan Haley Mm -hmm. uh, in, in collaboration with. Uh, who is our dear our, our dear friend Michael Verratti's dear friend? I guess <laughs> yes, <laughs> <Renee>. <laughs> um, special, friend. Um, special friend. Yeah, he um, he did a really great job. I love the um, I love the like kind of pop art type thing, and I think that like you know those the images like kind of encapsulate what those particular characters are about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So big thank you to him for, uh, for collaborating with us on that. And we do have some other uh, designs that we are presenting to him as well. So I'm looking forward to um, hopefully a, a nice fruitful relationship there. Uh, but really um, I just wanted to take a moment to thank everyone because I know that times are really tough and really uncertain and so, you know, it's really awesome that anybody took time to, uh, you know, uh, use their their monies to give to us. <laughs> so yes, we really, really appreciate it. And uh, you know, we'll, you'll you'll be hearing ad nauseum about those as we try to pay fright school bills. So <laughs> yes, because <laughs> this is a hobby. Uh, yeah. So we do. Yeah. So we do. We do really, really appreciate it. And I just wanted to take a moment before we got in too deep with the uh, with the episode, just to uh, thank everyone who has purchased the shirt and uh, you know, or any other merch that you've bought. It's uh, really awesome. And uh, we really, really appreciate it. And we can't wait to see the picture. So make sure when you get your uh, photos, you post them and uh, tag, and tag us. us at Fright School on the Instagrams and the Facebooks and the tweeters and all the other things. <laughs> um, all right. So, wow, this week there was a lot of stuff. There was lots of things to watch. Um, I wanted to start with because I think we both watched um, Vampires versus the Bronx. Yes. Yeah. Um, what did you think? Not um, to do a double episode, but uh, yeah, well, this <laughs> we'll is not a double episode. Actually, um, I think that we're going to, um, some friends of mine, we're going to do like a Netflix party with it as well. So we might mm-hmm. have a whole episode about it soon. Okay. Uh, there might be potential for that. Okay. I love, I loved it. And it's probably the first film, new film, I should say, that I've watched. Um, horror or not, where immediately I was like, I want a sequel. Yeah. So yeah. I hope that this is the beginning of two more films. Um, I I loved it. Uh, I especially love that we have like 
I forget which one it is. I, I forget which one he is. Uh, the Tony, the bodega owner. I, I forget if he's Jesus or Marrow, <laughs> but he's he's one half of Jesus and Marrow, which is this, you know, awesome talk show hosts, two talk show hosts that like are from the Bronx and rep the Bronx heavy. So I did appreciate all of that. But yes, I want a sequel. I want more. I'll probably go back and watch it again before the season's over. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and I will make sure to include you if we do have that uh, watch party. Um, I mean, the plan is to have it, so I'll just keep you in the loop. But point is... Um, Yes, I thought it was super fun. Kind of gave me Lost Vo- Lost Boys versus you know the Goonies versus you know fill in eighties, nineties, early nineties, uh, you know kid movie. Lots of fun. Uh, I think pretty safe for like a family film. You know, spooky, spooky yeah. kids. Uh, a nice know. conversation that you can have about gentrification. Exactly. That's why I don't want to get too deep in because yes. obviously that will be what our you know if we do a full on episode. Yes, yeah. if we do. A full on episode can we bring in a gentrifier uh so that way we can we can just the whole episode will be them saying think on your sins <laughs> yeah why not um if you if you can find somebody willing to do that joe you go right ahead <laughs> um i'm also in search i guess i should put this out there i'm in this in, i'm looking for quote unquote real I don't like when that kind of gets applied to things because it makes it seem, I don't know, kind of weird, but like, I'm looking for a real witch, like a practitioner of, of, uh, Wicca, witchcraft, uh, you know, how, whatever, you know, place you're coming from spiritually, religiously, whatever. Um, uh, I'm wide open. I wouldn't, I would like to, so I'm putting it out into the universe that if you're a real witch listening to this show, or, you know, a really awesome, which that would like to chat with us we or if you're rachel people. true yes i'll take rachel true that'd be awesome oh my gosh you brought up rachel true before i got a chance to i just got do you see this joe you um, your I'm, listener can't see i'm jealous i'm I jealous i just got this craft the craft rochelle pop signed by rachel true i'm super super excited i'm waiting for my um i have one of feruza bolt coming as well uh, but Feruz is moving, so you know she's she's delayed her signings. <laughs> but you know, re, uh, you know, Black Girl Magic incarnate right here, Rochelle from the craft. Yes, super cool. Rachel True, I actually just ordered. I'm doing a book signing with her. I just ordered her tarot book and memoir collection. Um, uh, quote unquote, two days from now, since it's Monday, but Wednesday the 14th. <laughs> I actually have two book signings. It's going to be kind of awesome. I'm having like a full witchy day because Alice Hoffman is also doing a, a signing and live event for her latest um, Practical Magic book. So there's Practical Magic, The Rules of Magic, and now Magic Lessons, which goes back to the beginning of the story, back hundreds of years to Maria Owens and tells like her story. Did you ever see the Practical Magic, Joe? Yes, uh, but. I've never read the, I mean, it's, no, I know that, but anyway, so, you know, the beginning, they kind of talk about Maria Owens and how the curse happens. Well, she's finally written that book that explores the whole thing. So practical magic Mm. is based on a book for those who don't know by Alice Hoffman. Um, you know, your mom or your grandma probably reads her. Uh, I only say that because every time I go to a book <laughs> signing of hers, I am like the only man and I'm definitely the youngest person in the room. <laughs> Are they like, I'm did your, gra- 
but you know. <laughs> Did your mom and grandma read this to you? I'm like, no, I I'm a I read books. I know, yeah. And I always ask weird questions, but Alice is very kind and very nice, and so I always enjoy chatting with her. But anyway, I'm like way off. The point is, is that Alice Hoffman has a book signing, and then so does Rachel True. So I'm doing like back to back on Wednesday. It's going to be super fun. Uh, so, you know, if you're hearing this, get tickets now. They're still available for both events. Uh, I think with Book Soup is who's doing Rachel's. Uh, Warwick's is doing, you know, Aaron mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is doing Alice Hoffman. Which is great. She always comes by Warwick's yeah. every time. Yeah, yeah. So I've been to several of her events there for Alice. And then Rachel's is through Book Soup. And if you order the book, you can request a signed copy of it. And it wasn't any additional money. So I guess that she's just, it's her local indie bookstore or not indie. I don't know if book soup is indie or not. I, I really don't know. I'm guessing maybe it is probably, um, but the point is, is that it's, it's Rachel's local bookshop. Uh, so she's going to be going by there to sign copies anyways, I guess uh, on a, you know, scattered basis. So I thought that was cool that they weren't charging for her autograph. Because uh, this Funko Pop cost a whole lot. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so you could do that. And it's sort of, uh, it's her, she's big into tarot. So it's her new book about tarot and um, memoirs, I guess, from her life. I don't know. I'm excited to read it. She's super cool and super chill. I love watching her Instagram videos. She's so just whew, beyond. <laughs> Um, anyway, so yeah, Vampires versus the Bronx, because <laughs> we got so far off track. Oh no, the whole point of that, we already finished that conversation, sorry, oh, I'm so scattered. Uh, the point was, we're putting out to the world, uh, we're looking for an awesome radical witch that wants to, to come on the show and chat about witches with us. Wouldn't that be fun? Mm-hmm. Joe? I mean, besides be you, besides Joe the witch. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, which is what our craft episode, the craft episode is actually. It's called, called Joe the Witch. Yeah. Um, besides you, Joe, the realest witch I know. Um, <laughs> you know, yes. Invite. Listen and to invite. my uh, parody album of uh, Trina, you know, the baddest bitch, but it's Joe the realest witch. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, other than that, I watched the Hulu's Books of Blood film. Which I don't, I can't really recommend to fans of Clive Barker. If you're wanting to watch it because it's like a new adaptation, it's really not at all. I don't know. I mean, it was like Clive Barker's Books of Blood, but we're not adapting any of the stories in the novels, in the, you know, because it's several uh, collected works that make up, you know, what he considers the Books of Blood. We're not adapting any of those stories. Um, plus, the can- Candyman comes from those. So that's already been adapted, you know. Um, we're just kind of using the central conceit of like uh, a fake psychic whose um, body is inscribed with like the stories of the dead. Like that's like literally the only thing that it has in common, which is like the, um, what do you call that? Like the wraparound story in the book Mm -hmm. that kind of explains that. Anyways, hopefully I'm not giving too much away. I mean, I re- you can watch it. It was fun, I guess. I mean, you know, I was home sick, and um, I was like, you know, I'm just going to watch it because I knew Jeffrey wasn't too interested. I wanted to kind of check it out and see. Uh, I mean, it just kind of was, I don't know, very disappointing when, like, truly, like, some of the stories in the Books of Blood are absolutely incredible. I mean, Clyde Barker is just... You know, I've said before on the show, I'm a, I'm a big fan of his. Uh, he writes beautifully. Um, he comes up with some really weird, sick stuff. 
So I know they're hoping that maybe it will set off as like, okay, that's what I thought when it was, when they announced it, I thought it was going to be like an anthology series and they, yeah, that's what I thought too. But so we'll see, maybe they'll make more films and actually adapt, you know, some of the, some of the, uh, the, the actual stories. Cause they're very bizarre and disturbing and, you know, kind of perfect for now. <laughs> There's like a whole one about like a medieval plague, like that gets released and, um, I don't know. Lots of, lots of cool stories. So yeah, hmm. it was kind of more about the hope of what it could be rather than what it was. Mm, okay. So, yeah. so thumbs down. Was, well, I mean, it was kind of like, meh, you know, like, okay. Like there was some well, cool ideas. You know. Listeners of the show will know know that you know you have very you have a very specific opinion about adaptations of books. Like you know you're okay. You, one they kind of stand separate, but you're also watching the adaptation to watch the book be like adapted. So there has to be elements that carry over. Um, yeah. yeah, and it it's that's disappointing. Shit, you know mm. that, I, that I recommend. You know, like just giving it a view because it was weird in a way. And I was a little surprised by the end, you know, one of the character stories, because it is sort of one of, it is like an anthology where you have like, you know, three sets of characters whose lives are all going to intersect. And, you know, it was kind of like, tr- you know, trick or treat how they do that. Mm-hmm. This is just not done as well. And it's a little kind of, I thought forced. I am pretty sure they filmed at the last bookstore in LA. I recognize in the opening sequence, I'm like, I recognize these rooms, which I thought was kind of cool, but I couldn't find any proof that was true. Mm-hmm. But specific things. Have you ever been there? No, but I've seen the pictures. Yeah, it's really neat. And they have like that kind of labyrinthian, you know, upper level. And, you know, it's got weird like tunnels made out of books. And so they, you know, they showed some of that. And I'm like, God, that had to have been filmed there. Um, but Oddly enough, I really love bookstores. <laughs> yeah. This is ironic, but um, I do love bookstores. So I, it's on my list, even though it's just in our backyard. I've never been. Yeah, it's super cool. I've been there. So every time I go to LA, I try to stop by there if I can just to, you know, look at something or they also have like little shops, you know, upstairs that are like, um, I don't know if they're consignment, I guess they're just like rented out, you know, by people and they sell little weird things, lots of morbid stuff. Um, You know, artists that kind of rent a space and host their work there for a while. It's kind of always different. Uh, Yeah, so it's a really neat place. So yeah, books of blood on Hulu. I just give it, you know, it's like, throw it on, you know, Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I wouldn't expect you. I wouldn't expect too much, especially if you're a big fan of Clyde Barker's work. Uh, what about you? Anything? That you like? um, I watch Hubie Halloween on um, yeah. Netflix. Um, again, it's a Happy Madison production, and um, the thing about Adam Sandler movies is that you know they're madcap and kooky, and, but they have a lot of heart, and and that's kind of what this particular film is at the core. Is yeah. that it's. It's definitely like if you like any Adam Sandler film and it's it reminds me a lot of his early stuff. So it reminds me of Happy Gilmore, um, Billy Madison, so and on and so forth. Um, you it, it's it's a lot of fun and you get some really kooky performances by people there. But yeah, it was good. It was a good time. Yeah, um, I saw the trailer for it. I'm not an Adam Sandler fan. Like I just I cannot like. I cannot deal with him. Sometimes I'm just very, very impatient for his brand of humor, I guess. It's I mean, I just it's worth it just to watch June Squibb yeah. <laughs> who plays his mom in it. Um, 
And I was like, Maya wow. Rudolph was in it. Maya Rudolph, Tim Meadows. Uh, you have um, uh, Steve Buscemi. And, uh, you know, there's a cameo by Rob Schneider. Like, there's all of the standard happy, like, Madison people are in it. Yeah. Um, but I, I definitely <laughs> I definitely think that, like, it's worth it just to watch everything with June Squibb. Um because it's so easily a character that um, <laughs> Kathy Bates could have played, especially because she has played his mom in The Waterboy. Uh, but like the choice to have June Squibb specifically is really great. Mm. And it and it takes and so you know for those at the risk of this is not a spoiler, but it's like it's about a man who is this kind of man child that um, right. Adam Sandler playing a man child. I know, revolutionary. Um, he's this man child who is very he's like a very simple you know like kind of like a Forrest Gump type character, very innocent, very simple. Uh, but he is the like unofficial protector of Halloween in Salem, Massachusetts. So he makes sure that like you know people are are following the rules and you know giving candy not eating too much candy and giving it out to people and stuff so huh. there's it's definitely a movie that you would watch with kids have you uh, ever seen Ernest scared stupid no i've seen Ernest saves christmas ah that tra- and then um and then- <laughs> It's just when I saw Reed. <laughs> well, I mean, it's okay. You were a Christmas kid and not a Halloween kid. It's all right. That's uh, true. That's very true. It's, it's space. It's the foundation of this show. Um, I, I was just wondering because when I watched the trailer, it kind of gave me that sort of vibe. And I mean, I'm sure right now people that, that love fucking Ernest go stupid are like screaming at me. Um, and I do not mean to compare them because I have not seen Hubie Halloween and I have not seen Ernest Scared Stupid for probably 25 years. <laughs> 20, 20, whenever, you should watch Hubie Halloween out. when you're making dinner. Okay. <laughs> like, watch it when you're making dinner. Yeah. Well, maybe. We'll see. Again, like I said, if it's, if it's like very Adam Sandler-y, I'm, I'm probably just going to It He has the voice the whole time. Like, he has his like yeah. Hubie Doobie, you know, and then he his like screaming and all that stuff. Right. Um, there is a very nice tribute to the actor Cameron Boyce who I did read passed. something about that. Yeah. Um, and then of and then this is interesting. It has um, Noah Schnapp in it who plays um, who's Will Byers in um, Stranger Things. Yeah. He plays uh, his love interest son, um, played by Julie Bowen. And it's and I'm like oh like he's like. It's so it's so strange to see him in a non Will Byers like without that like terrible like page right. boy haircut and everything, um, but yeah so yeah it's 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 a really fun I thought it was really fun and you know again it's perfect if you're a Christmas kid and not a Halloween kid you will definitely like Hubie Halloween. All right, well there we go. There's a glowing recommendation. Um, let's see the other thing. I just finished episode five of the Haunting of Bly Manor. So I've got, Mm -hmm. there's nine episodes. So, um, almost finished with that. I am enjoying it. Uh, it's interesting just to throw that out there. If anybody else is watching, I'll talk uh, maybe more about it in the next episode when I've probably finished it. Uh, but just talking to Matt from horror movie night about it earlier today. Um, I mean, yesterday, of course, on Sunday, (laughs) (laughs) Um, and yeah, it was kind of interesting to get his perspective too, cause he was enjoying it. And, uh, 
yeah, I don't know. I, it's kind of fun for people that were like fans of the first season of American Horror Story. Uh, you know, it's like, at least for me personally, it's kind of reminding me why I love that. And, and, and that kind of like, as, as the story's going along, you keep going like, what the fuck is happening? Wait, what? Wait, who? Who is that? Who's alive? Who's dead? You know, it's that kind of thing. Um, so as you know, but very like Victorian Gothic, it's also set in 1987, which I thought was kind of exciting, uh, you know, cause I kept going like, man, the, the music, cause it's so hard to tell these days because of like the way people dress, <laughs> you know, like it could be a stylistic choice, you know, to kind of look sort of eighties, like out here, like, you know, by where I live, like all the kids, like, oh my God, they're all wearing jeans up to their, you know, chest <laughs> You know, it's like everybody's got mom jeans on again. I'm like, well, everybody looks like they just stepped out of the 80s. Uh, so I, at first I wasn't sure what year it was set. But then the music <laughs> and everything else, I was like, oh, okay, clearly this is set in the 80s. Um, and then bounces back and forth through time and, you know, as, as you know, one will do. But anyways, I, I, I'm enjoying it. So I just wanted to throw that out there as well. Uh, Joe, if you want to spend some time. Do I need to watch The Haunting of Hill House? No. In order no. to understand. Okay, they're separate, right? Yeah, they're separate. They, it, there's definitely, like, stylistic choices that I think are similar between the two. Uh, you know, ghosts in the background, and, you know, you're kind of, every frame there's, like, things to look for. But the stories are, are entirely, at least so far, unconnected. Um, you know, and, like, The Haunting of the Hill House is based very firmly on what it's based on, and this is based on um, Turn of the Screw and um, you know, kind of has a very, um, it's, they're not connected. Mm-hmm. Oh, Turn of the Screw? A, yeah, it's a uh, novella. It's a book? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, is it considered a novel or is it a novella? I thought it was shorter. Um, Does it got a cover? Does it got pages? It's a book. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need to know. Uh, yeah, novella by Henry James, The Turn of the Screw uh, from 1898. There you go. Um, so yeah, so it's being adapted from that into the eighties. Uh, but yeah, it's enjoyable, you know, not super fast paced, you know, beautiful sets and gorgeous looking folks doing spooky things. There you go. You're right up your alley. (laughs) But yeah, other than that, it's, uh, that's been kind of the week, you know, watching, watching stuff. Good times. (laughs) Very good times. Um, anything else? To add before we... Oh, so I've been... um, Since probably about late April, early May, I have been watching with... um, I've been in a little movie club, little um, weekly throwback... We call it our Throwback Thursday movie club um, with some friends. With... With Eve, with yes, Miss Eve Parker. Yes, yes, yes. I see. And, um, uh, and so it's her and her fiancé, me and my Jimmykins. And, um, <laughs> and we, um, uh, it's Halloween is very special to both of us as people go back and listen to our conversation with Eve Parker. Um, I, she's like the Joshua before Joshua, um, for me. And, um, we decided that, you know, the, everything, all the weekly picks are going to be, uh, for this month are going to be Halloween or horror related. Cool. And so we did hers first, which was monster squad. That's right. I saw that you posted about that. Yeah. So I got to relive the the uh, fun uh, 80s-ness that is Monster Squad. 
Very cool. There's actually a poster of Monster Squad in the uh, haunting of Bly Manor in the in the boys' room. That's cool. Also clued me in. I was like, wow, he's super. Um, he's relevant, right? <laughs> but then I realized that it was again set in the '80s, so. But I thought that was a really nice touch. Um, but anyways, go ahead. So but but all watching. that to say, so we watched Monster Squad, and it was great. And it was fun. Um, all of that to say is that I believe coming out in the next couple of weeks or so is the Monster Squad um, documentary. Yeah, the Wolfman's, Wolfman's Got Nards. Wolfman's Got Nards. Yes, yes, yes. That will be out soon. I'm actually looking forward to watching that. Because uh, obviously our, our friend Matt from Horror Movie Night again, shout out. <laughs> just shouting him out twice here. Uh, is in it. So he's a big super yeah. fan. Of he, he's, the, he's, got, he's the Nards. He's 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 the Nards the Wolfman's guy, right? Um, I I don't know. <laughs> I want to see you try. I just want to see add, you try. I'll ask him. Um, anyway, <laughs> point is, like, yes, that will be out. That's very exciting. <laughs> you just unfriended both of us. Yes. Oh, we. I'll know when this. I know when he listens because I'll get a text message. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I guess if you know, uh, no, never mind. I'm I'm just gonna not say anything. Um, uh, sorry. Some you know, I like to think of myself as like you know, lawful good on um in real life. But I feel like sometimes when I get on the podcast, I'm uh like chaotic, <laughs> a little gate, get a little chaotic. <laughs> Anyways. Yes, so recommend that as well, I'm sure, for viewing. And Monster Squad, again, is held in the hearts of people in the same way like the Goonies and things like that are. Um, So I'm sure it'll be a a fun watch. Uh, Yeah, all righty. Well, again, thanks for, you know, picking up teas, dear listener. We appreciate it. Um, You know, again, check the comment section if you have yet to get your I Heart Fright School merch. You need it. You got to have it. You want it. Um, I'm just doing some uh, hypnosis there, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> some, uh, no, what's it called? Like, um, um, yeah, I don't know what I'm trying to Subliminal say. messaging. Subliminal like... messaging, exactly. It's so subliminal. You want our merchandise, click the tea Public link. Well, I mean, also you don't, if you if you like, oh, I don't want a t-shirt, well, maybe you want a tank top. That's available there. Maybe you want a sticker. Maybe you want a giant wall-hanging tapestry of, uh, you know, three members, three male members of the Skarsgård family. I mean, who doesn't? Right. So... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There are lots of choices. That's why I do enjoy Tea Public because there, you know, it allows you, dear listener, to choose the merch that you would like. Yeah. Our stuff slapped on. Choose your own capitalist adventure. Exactly, um, and we get to you know keep this going by paying our our various exactly. fees and fines. No, no fines, but well, so yeah. So if you you know if 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 for the last two years when we've been saying put money in our tip jar and you've never put money in the tip jar because it's like what am I going to get for it? Well, now you're going to get like a cool T-shirt or like you know a coffee mug that has "I Heart Fright School" on it, or I you know maybe you want like Joshua's Dark Witches on a button. Yeah, I dig it. I love it, and, and you'll love it too when you when you buy it and wear it. <laughs> All right, Joe, that is enough of this nonsense. We will be right back to discuss horns. 
Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and ugh, the practical effects. (sighs) Um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males... Hi! From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. All right. Welcome back. Today, uh, this is our second episode in our Halloween series on the devil, Satanism... Uh, you know, the Lord of Darkness, the, the Prince of, of Lies, Darkness, all of those things. Uh, you know, as depicted in Christianity and in American horror. To you know, there we go. It's you know, it's broad. <laughs> is the point? This is a loose theme, uh, <laughs> as evidenced by today's film. Um, <laughs> this is a loose theme. <laughs> yes. Uh, but today we're discussing Horns, uh, 2013, uh, which, uh, you know, div- uh, directed by Alexander Aha, who did um, High Tension, um, you know, one of the films that we've had in the past. I wonder if Baxter edited this. Mm, it, edited I, by Baxter. Was it edited by Baxter? Yeah. Oh, well, that explains a lot. Yeah, they're friends, uh, apparently. So we've got Daniel Radcliffe, Danny Raddy. Danny, we like to think of it. A little Danny Ratty, and we got Juno Temple, uh, Joe Anderson, all kinds of folks here um, in a film about a man who grows some horns after possibly murdering his girlfriend, and then uh, goes on a quest to find out who what really happened. Uh, based on the book by Joe Hill, which I love. I really enjoy the book. Uh, Do you have it? Is it behind you? Yeah, well, it's right here, actually, because I have some things I want to read from it. Mm. So I have my first edition hardback signed copy right here. Um, And I do, I enjoy Joe Hill's work. Shut up, Scott, from Horror Movie Night. I don't care what you have to say. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um. But yeah, so I enjoy reading his stuff. And so I was really looking forward to this particular being adapted. Uh, but we'll get into those thoughts after we hear from 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 you, Joe. This movie was weird. Um, <laughs> it was like, it was visually and like in just the language of, and like cinematically very much like Twilight. <laughs> like... Mm like the later twilight films. Cause it's like people running through forests and, you know, the, the kind of isolation of a, like a, um, a working town on a, by like a body of water. Right. <laughs> um, which, you know, is a very specific type of isolation. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall I did enjoy it. I think, um, I don't know. It, it, I'm very distracted by da- uh, Daniel Radcliffe's twink body, like running around and like, you know, <laughs> storming. <laughs> He's like storming off. And I'm like, Oh, look at his little, look at his little twink booty, just running away, um, running away, trying to be, you know, this kiss, very angry man, Mr. Mr. Ig Parish. 
Um, yeah, but other other than that, I really enjoyed it, and I and um, I'm I'm so I'm so curious to hear like reasonings and all, like more of you, more from you, Joshua. I think I even sent you a text and I said, um, "I if you have any analysis, I would love to read it." <laughs> I think it's what I said, <laughs> um, which I've never done. <laughs> <laughs> Never done for any movie. Um, and not because I didn't think that this, like, you know, I, I was trying to search for meaning. I was like, I actually just enjoyed it as a film. Um, I thought, like, as... I thought it was a very new take on on a murder mystery. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I really enjoyed about it. It's like this... What if, if like, you... Um, you could do like a murder mystery with this very supernatural context. And I like how they didn't really explain... Every, everything that's happening, it just kind of happens. So, yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. I'd probably watch it again. Oh well, that's high praise from you, since we we have a very short list of, <laughs> of those films from Fright School that you would that you would rewatch. So that's mm-hmm. good. Um, I though suspect that you're just watching it for um, Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> well, you know, not wrong. <laughs> So no, the reason one I, because we had done the omen and that was kind of heavy the the whole conversation and thinking about the different ways of like exploring these sorts of topics of Satanism of the devil in you know pop culture. I was trying to pick the the films that I picked are all picked yes for specific reasons, um, but also to showcase kind of a different side of the devil of Satan. So obviously, you know, we talked about the omen, we talked about kind of dialectical Marxism. Let me tell you, talking to my friends who study Marx, we had the most hilarious like conversation about that because nobody understands dialectical Marx, uh, dialectical materialism a hundred percent very well. Cause it's just a bizarre thing. So trying to apply it the way we did, that was Anyways, it was just hilarious to talk about afterwards. And um, I have a friend who's going to listen to the show and then let me know what. (laughs) And then, and let you know what you did wrong. (laughs) Right. Or not even wrong, but just the, the whole idea, the whole notion of applying that to the omen was really amusing. And again, wasn't like, it was just something I'd read um, that I thought was interesting to try to present here, but um, you know, whatever. The point is, is that, you know, analyzing the Antichrist and that sort of mythology within the Omen. Um, so this is more about like what happens with the, when the devil is like the good guy, quote unquote. Uh, you know, and which is a which is something that I'm very fascinated by, um, and I also like the idea within horns of like um, you know because Marin, uh, which is a, a tribute to the Exorcist, I'm pretty sure because mm. Father Marin. Yeah, Father Marin, so her first name. But also in the novel, she has a sister, an older sister who died of cancer. So spoiler alert, since that's the whole kind of crux of the whole of, of, of the story, or a big part of the story, uh, whose name is Reagan in the novel. Mm. Um, and then I thought, because you know, they make reference that in the film version that her mother died of cancer. Um, I thought they would just, they had changed it to be her name, but I don't think they ever mentioned the mother's name. Mm-mm, it would no. be cool if they would have named her Reagan. Uh, just to kind of keep, prop up that, um, 
that connection that's in the novel. But anyway, so Marin is super Christian, you know, in the, in the novel and then in the, in the movie, although obviously not that super Christian since they're <laughs> doing all their, their naughty business. I was going to say, I'm like, you're, you are not super Christian. If you're like dancing sexily in like a, like gossamer dress with your right. breasts hanging out. And yeah. True. Yeah. But maybe that's just, you know, bad influence of these boys. Who knows? But, you know, in the, you know, the idea though is, is that she is a believer mm-hmm. and is obviously forsaken by her God. Uh, and is dies this horrible, horrible death. That that's what the, the, the film and the novel both start out with this uh this story that she has been viciously raped, murdered. And everybody blames Ig because they were last seen together. They had a big fight because she breaks up with him when he's going to like propose to her. And so obviously he's number one suspect, even his own, everybody thinks he's guilty, even his own parents, Uh, you know, so like nobody really believes in him. And that's kind of what the, you know, where it starts out. And then, so he visits her memorial, pisses all over it, (laughs) and then wakes up the next morning. Yeah, that was very unsettling to watch. Yeah, and you know, again, it's one of those things where... So, I guess I should just say, like, my opinion of the movie really quickly here is I, I enjoy it. I was looking forward to it to being adapted. I think that in this age i i hope in another 10 years somebody takes another crack at it and does it for tv does it as a mini series because the novel has so much good stuff in it and good conversation and you know a more expansive story that they can't even touch in a you know how long is this um 120 minutes you know two hour film mm-hmm. um and the book is written kind of very cinematically so it would really work well as like you know like a three or four part mini series instead of trying to do a film uh, but so, yeah, so he goes, you know, he has the memory of doing that, of going to the the memorial and like pissing all over it because it's like God has forsaken her. And where is he? Where was he to protect her? And so instead of being, you know, possessed by this like angel from heaven, you know, instead he grows horns. And um, so I like the whole conceit of that, of being imbued with these devilish powers in order to avenge the death of his Christian girlfriend. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I just, I, I, you know, I kind of enjoy that sort of conversation. And so, and that's kind of, that's what I was thinking about when, when this, when I, when I was putting together the movies that we were going to watch, you know, in this, in this Satan, you know, satan, Satanism uh, thing. So, <sighs> that was, did it, that <laughs> Let's just say a whole lot of word salad there. So the point is, is that, yeah, so the devil, Satan is a good guy. And that's why when I read this book, there are these passages, there's this sermon. And I've mentioned it, I think, on the show before, but now obviously we have the context of watching the film. Um, and it's kind of a little bit in there at the end, you know, in the middle of the movie where all the serpents come and he, like, you know, becomes more fully aware of the power that he has with the horns, you know, but that that God holds humans to a very high standard, uh, one that he is well aware of that they cannot, we cannot live up to. And Satan, on the other hand, you know, fought for free will and, you know, stood up against God and accepts us as we are. And I think that whole concept is really fascinating, <laughs> which is why I like this, this film. And I like this idea of, 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 
I, I guess it's also kind of plays out in that Lucifer show, which I don't watch. And I also mm-hmm. just don't like the idea of like the devil working with the LAPD. Um, <laughs> I just think that that concept is kind of weird, but the idea of like, you know, Satan helping to avenge the death of this, you know, girl, even though it's not really explicit, it's just, you know, he's growing horns and there are things that are, yeah, you know, I mean, when you read between the lines, it's very like, okay, we're meant to believe that these are these are powers that like are demonic or, you know, satanic in nature. But it's interesting because I mean, even he he's getting he himself, Ig, is being vilified by the entire community. No one believes that he is innocent. And the one person who believes is innocent is, well, spoiler alert, is the person, (laughs) again, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, um, is the person who um, is the one that is ultimately responsible for the murder. So there's, there, you know, that's, I, I think that's interesting and an interesting commentary on like, you know, the kind of same vilification of the devil as the Prince of darkness and, you know, all of that stuff by humanity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And especially, and again, in this, so some of the stuff I was reading was sort of interesting about like the creation of the devil of Satan, you know? Um, so, you know, we go to our dear friend, Wikipedia. Mm. <laughs> so to kind of separate out and kind of have this uh, conversation about where we even get the idea of the devil, you know, in the original Hebrew, Satan is the, the word is, is a noun, you know, to mean accuser or adversary. And it's used kind of, throughout like just to you know describe anybody who stands in the way of you know good or just in the way (laughs) you know who's just adversarial and you know it's it's been through sort of years there's some really good and i'm going to share a link to this um article in the in the um the notes about sort of like the history of the creation of a the Satan rather than a Satan kind of the same way where we talked about like the antichrist in the Bible, like there there's Nero, but then there's also just anybody who is against Christ, you know, is considered an antichrist. And so there can be many, many, many of them. And so in the same way, there can be many Satans in biblical context. So it's like, um, so there's this paper, a historical account of the conceptual evolution of Satan in the, um, Abrahamic, I guess, would you say Abrahamic? Abrahamic tradition, yeah. (laughs) Belief traditions. Uh, So it is examining that. And so I I think it's fascinating, again, because of our last conversation about like dialectics. So throughout history, we've developed this idea of Satan and, you know, and, and attributed like, you know, Lucifer, you know, the morning star, this fallen angel who left heaven because he didn't want to serve and was cast into the pit and now kind of is, you know, ruling hell that that's kind of been built because, you know, the earlier traditions didn't believe in hell or didn't believe in, you know, this evil character, quite frankly, humans don't really need the help, you know, and neither does God, you know, that the idea is that God, if God is omnipotent and all powerful, then God is good and God is also evil. But then throughout Mm -hmm. history, that doesn't really work when you're trying to control people and manipulate them (laughs) uh, into believing your, in your faith. So throughout time, we, it created this need to have both there, you know, if God exists and is all good, there has to be this other entity that's 
all evil and that we can blame all of our problems on we can scapegoat and that is sort of what is at the basis of horns is that the devil is this scapegoat the devil and woman um and that god fears satan and his followers because you know god wants free will and or god does not want free will god wants us to obey explicitly um but Satan and woman have teamed up. Woman has the power to create life, you know, so that is, in, you know, in defiance. Again, this is within context of, of the novel, and I'll read a little bit from it because I do think it kind of applies somewhat to the themes of the film. And again, and that also ties into like witchcraft and, you know, why we, you know, the sort of the vilification of women and tying them to Satan and tying them to these sort of dark powers, um, you know, but that God is afraid of them and now over time is has become indifferent to it to us kind of completely where satan still loves us <laughs> and wants us to uh believe in ourselves um so i was trying to look here so from the novel satan has long been known as the adversary but god fears women even more than he fears the devil and is right to. She, with her powers to bring life into the world, was truly made in the image of the Creator, not man. And in all ways, he has proved she has proved herself a more deserving object of man's worship than Christ, that unshaven fanatic who lusted for the end of the world. <laughs> I, I love the way that um, he writes things. Um, so God saves, but not now and not here. His salvation is on layaway, like all grifters. He asks you to pay now and take it on faith that you will receive later, whereas women offer a different sort of salvation, more immediate and more fulfilling. This kind of gets tied into, you know, the death of Marin and, you know, all like, again, you mm-hmm. should read the book because it's very interesting kind of how it's more expansive. The devil and woman have been allies against God from the beginning, ever since Satan came to the first man in the form of a snake and whispered to Adam that true happiness was not to be found in prayer, but in Eve's, and then a very explicit word for a vagina. <laughs> mm. Does it rhyme with wussy? <laughs> no, it's a different one. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> that I don't want to say here. I don't want to read here. Okay. Um, and then kind of jumps a little bit here. And where does this leave God? God loves man, we are told. But love must be proved by facts, not reasons. If you were in a boat and did not save a drowning man, you would burn in hell for certain. Yet God, in his wisdom, feels no need to use his power to save anyone from a single moment of suffering. And in spite of his inaction, he is celebrated and revered. Show me the moral logic in it. You can't. There is none. Only the devil operates with any reason, promising to punish those who would make earth itself hell for those who dare to love and feel. Uh, I do not claim that God is dead. I tell you he is alive and well, but in no position to offer salvation, being damned himself for his criminal indifference. He was lost the moment he demanded fealty and worship before he would offer his protection. The unmistakable bargain of a gangster. Whereas the devil is anything but different. The devil is always there to help those who are ready to sin, which is another word for live. His phone lines are open. Operators are standing by. Then it skips a little bit here. Talks about Deuteronomy forbade uh, clothes with mixed fibers, a problematic bit of scripture. Uh, Only the devil wants man to have a wide range of lightweight and comfortable styles to choose from. Although there may be no forgiveness for polyester. On this one matter, Satan and the Lord are in in agreement. (laughs) So anyways, the point of reading that is, again, sort of why I wanted to talk about horns and talk about sort of the role of 
the devil. And then I, I want to go over again, the tenets of like Satanism is that sort of idea that Satan accepts us as we are. Should he exist? Which again, at the end of the day, a lot of this is moot since I don't believe in either, but <laughs> um, I don't know. I just think it's a very fascinating concept to think of Satan, not in these terms of being the bad guy, but have being like, you set a very high standard that nobody can live up to. You're a narcissist, <laughs> God. And, um, you know, you set everyone up to fail. And I refuse to, to believe, to, to serve that agenda. So I'm going to have my own agenda. Obviously still flawed, I guess. <laughs> Basically, again, you're describing Satan as that, like, kid in fifth grade who, like, knows that the teacher has no power. <laughs> <laughs> the emperor has no clothes type thing but it, it's yeah. like you can't do that because i that's child abuse i'm gonna call cps that <laughs> satan is that kid satan's the kid who's like i'm gonna call cps on you <laughs> i'm gonna tell on you uh yeah i mean why not i think i, I don't i i think that i think it's an, a very interesting um again uh, idea to explore you know when we think about human suffering when we think about you know religion and how much of a role it has played across the ages you know when you think about how much you know i mean we can look at like the satanic panic of the 80s and we will study that a little bit um further on in in this in this series you know and and all the accused bloodshed from satanists and you know that they're going around and murdering children and and doing all these terrible things um which not to say that they aren't but i think the bloodshed across history i mean the oceans of blood <laughs> that have been shed in christ's, christ's name. name um isn't today columbus day Today is In speaking of that. We don't celebrate well, it here. Fuck Columbus. Yeah, but, you know, today, it's like, today is Indigenous Peoples Day, right? But um, but white supremacists are still going to celebrate mm-hmm. Columbus. And you know, you think about the millions and millions of lives that were lost and tortured and brutalized in in christ's name and manifest destiny and all these other things i I just don't know if it holds a candle to what satan is accused of um and how many people that claim they love me uh would see me tortured to death or 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 tortured psychologically to to fix and cure me in the name Uh of their god uh you know i don't know it's Again, and I, and I guess, quote unquote, you know, real Christians would say, well, they're not real Christians, you know, and that we love everybody and everybody's accepted and blah, 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 you know, and all those sorts of things that, you know, we can go into about what Jesus did or didn't say in the Bible and, you know, how things get translated or changed. And again, and that's sort of what um, that paper I was talking about with Satan is that, you know, maybe there never really was such a figure. Um, you know, the serpent that tempts Eve is not explicitly given that in Genesis is not like Mm -hmm. the devil, um, you know, just art and human, you know, throughout the, the ages we have, we have kind of formed, we have formed Satan in the images we needed as much as we have God. Yeah. Um, but I like the idea of like Satan getting a bad rap. (laughs) And I think that that using that as, as the, the central, uh, idea within this film, again, back to, back to horns, I, I think is kind of, 
at least for me, having read millions of books, it feels, you know, millions of pages over the years, felt fresh and new and different. And as much as like the the film, again, I agree with your Twilight kind of assumption <laughs> or um, assertion. I did not think about that when I was watching it. Um, hmm. But it's very much, I mean, because it's also yeah. like, it's Daniel Radcliffe who has like, you know, it's coming off of Harry Potter and it's very much still, you know, is very much still yeah, like a representative of a franchise. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, so the, yeah, so the film standing alone on its own. Yeah, I, I, I don't again think it's like great it's certainly not like a fantastic adaptation but they mm-hmm. i mean it, it's pretty it's pretty good there are a lot like i was rereading some of the chapters this morning and yesterday and um i was like oh wow yeah they did pull that right from the book like there are some nice things that are definitely pulled they you know you make changes because you know you've got hundreds of pages to explore in a book and only you know 120 mm-hmm. minutes to fill which um you know they're obviously going to make changes and make uh, you know adaptations to to thin out the story uh, which is kind of it's unfortunate in some ways because there are there's a lot of cool stuff to explore especially with lee um because mm-hmm. you know they kind of make him you know yeah he's obviously psychotic because he's you know murdering this girl and it's that you know white male rage of like the friend zone that very yeah. incel like you know yeah just yeah um which is which is fucked up and of course relevant and you know works within the context of the film you know that he's just so angry that she rejects him but in the in the novel it's like he's really fucked up in other ways i mean one the cherry bomb like blows you know it like messes with his face he's like his eye he can't see and then he like falls off and like injures his head and that like makes him like a real psychopath uh he like tortures his mother who's like dependent on him uh, when everybody thinks that he's like taking good care of her there's all these other things that they can explore um in the book about how truly fucked up lee is uh which kind of leads to you know uh, kind of gives a, a bigger backstory than just mm-hmm. the friend zone thing which again is perfectly relevant and plenty of real life murders have happened in that uh, using that same context. Again, I would argue that like white supremacy, you know, that sort of misogyny is a mental illness, that sort of violent uh, misogyny. Um, But one that is echoed by culture and okayed by culture in a lot of ways Uh, it's given, it's ratified Um, by the way those crimes are punished. If at all, you know, mm-hmm. to some extent, not murder, but, you know, just rape and sexual violence. Uh, so I just, you know, again, there's, there are, there's so many kind of cool, larger stories that could be, uh, could, could be explored if they redid this as like a, as a series. Um, so the other thing I wanted to read, uh, this is from the legal satiricon. Um, there was a church, Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, you've probably seen this. Satan was the first to demand equal rights. <laughs> that they put they put that up obviously to discourage uh, people from demanding equal rights. And uh, I thought this was kind of again goes back to what we were discussing. Um, looking at again the devil as quote unquote the good guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, and that's what this is called. Satan was the first to demand equal rights. He's always been the good guy. Um, 
the first thing we need to remember is that the victors write the history books. So you've got to look at the Bible as a piece of propaganda for the winning side. <laughs> of course, the book that God wrote is going to make him the protagonist. But even in his own complete control of the message uh, isn't enough to cover up his defects. Sort of like North Korea, North Korean propaganda. It might control the message, but it still doesn't make Kim Jong-un look good. First, God apparently created everything. He created Tyrannosaurus Rex, which had arms too short to masturbate. Then he created us, with arms long enough to play with our genitals, and hands that are pretty damn well suited to it. He gave us the capacity to feel pleasure, and he gave us the desire to chase it. He gave us a thirst for knowledge. He gave us a lot of great stuff. But he demanded that we not use any of it. Oh, and he demanded that we love him. (laughs) So, sounds a bit twisted. The God character sounds more like the psychological profile you'd get if you went to a high school, found the meanest 16-year-old cheerleader, and told her that she had absolute power. Imagine if Saddam Hussein could shoot lightning out of his eyes. wonder when this was published, because obviously uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a little bit old news. Um, so I'll post this too, because I, I, again, I love all of this sort of conversation about you know, just sort of the absurdity in, in some of, in, in Christian theology <laughs> around uh, God, you know. God commits genocide at Sodom and Gomorrah. He floods the whole world because he isn't quite happy with how his creations are kissing his ass or not doing so. He is the one who casts souls into the eternal pit of hell. Satan seems to just hang out there making the best of it. <laughs> Anyways, sorry, Joe. Am I? Are you going to go to hell now for this conversation? <laughs> this conversation, no. Um, other conversations I've had, perhaps actions, definitely. But you know, is that aunt of yours going to uh, <laughs> send you messages? Um, if she hasn't already. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anywho. I'll share that article too because I just I think it's funny. I, yeah, I, I like anything that kind of plays with the this mythology and um, and uh, you know these stories of Satan. So, were you surprised at the ending? No, I kind of called it. Yeah. Well, I mean, because it was very like, okay, I see where this is going because if he's the only person who is an a well, at first he's the only person not affected. And I was like, why would he have the necklace when the necklace, you know, and like, it was very kind of obvious. Yeah. Um, the stuff with the brother was very interesting. Like that was what I was more surprised about. Um, I did kind of figure that the brother would have some sort of like, you know, twisted surprise of his own. Um, and, and it's just, Oh, he's just dealing with a drug problem. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what we have with him. The stuff with the parents was very difficult to watch um, when they're confessing to him, like, you know, just to go. And I was trying to decide, and I don't know if maybe it's more um, clear in the novel, but I was, I was more, I was trying to decide if what they were saying was truly how they felt or if it was just, um, it was, if it was just heightened, like, 
like basic feelings. You know what I mean? Like if it was just, you know, oh, I wish you, I wish we weren't going through this. And then that just gets turned up by his power of like, you know, no, you, I really wish you weren't bored. Just go away, go away. The stuff with the mother was very difficult to hear. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I think absolutely it is meant to be their deepest, darkest truths. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what the horns are bringing out, you know, that people are confessing their darkest deeds. Mm-hmm. Um, and had he, you know, had they, had the event not happened, maybe his mother wouldn't feel that way. She was, you know, it was because of the death of this girl. And now she has to walk through. I think we talked a little bit about this in the past with like ideas that like, um, uh, what's that uh, film with Tilda Swinton? We got it. We need to talk about Kevin, mm-hmm. you know, like what do you do when you're the parent of, of a child accused of something so horrific. Uh, and, and what if it is true, you know, with like Columbine, like how do those, how do the mothers, especially you walk through the world uh, when we, when we vilify and blame, you know, so much is put on women, so much work is put on women and especially mothers to, uh, you know, live up to some sort of insane standard as if we, you know, as if we are holy creations of, of our, of our mother's influence when that's just, you know, no child, you know, as soon as your kid leaves your house, they're inundated Mm -hmm. with influences and, you know, society encourages rebellion against your parents and, and a rejection of their, you know, um, philosophies or their rules or whatever, you know? Um, so, so yeah, so I don't know if it hadn't happened, would she feel that way? Maybe not. You know, because I, I don't think it's necessary that she hates her son or has always believed that. I just think it's she doesn't. She now has to bear the the burden of yeah. She doesn't know how. Um, <laughs> at the risk of making a pun, um, she doesn't know how to love him. Right. <laughs> um, exactly. And then, the, and then the stuff with the dad about like you know she was my favorite. She was my favorite thing about you. Like that's yeah. difficult and. And again, like they made this girl, they made her out to be this very divine figure. Like it was, she, she pervaded all of their imaginations um, about who and what she was and the fact, and again, they're very jealous because, you know, she was, she only had eyes for him. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, not unlike the, uh, you know, not unlike the kind of story that we're told about uh, Lucifer Morningstar, which is that he was the favored among all the angels. Um, And so when he falls, he falls hard because they already were looking for a reason. I felt like they were already looking for any reason to, um, to, to have, to not have him be, um, to have him be the villain. Yeah. what were yeah. some of your favorite confessions in the film? <laughs> um, you know, I wish that they had more of the weird stuff that comes up in in the in the book. But I love I love right off the beginning where she's like, "I want to eat all these donuts." <laughs> mm-hmm. Just the whole thing. I mean, that's temptation. I think any of us, you know, could can relate to. You know. Um, and I fucking love the doctor. I mean, again, those are kind of right at the beginning where he's like, I just want to fucking snort some drugs and have a yeah. good time. Like, fuck all this shit and fuck you patients. Like, I love that because obviously working in healthcare, there are definitely times where you're like, I'm a mm-hmm. person too, fucker. Like, you're not the only <laughs> yeah. person suffering, uh, but I do know how, you know, mental health and how our own, you know, pain and sickness makes us, you know, by default, you know, very selfish because you're suffering. Um, and that's fine. 
That's I thought about you when um, you want to scream. when that receptionist uh, um, when that receptionist like, yells at the woman for her child. <laughs> that, <laughs> I thought about you. <laughs> yeah, that is also very entertaining. Um, I've never felt like really violent, uh, you know, towards a child, but you know, um, I've definitely wanted to say something before. Like, yeah, God, shut that fucking thing up. What I also what so my favorite one was when he's in the bar. And one of the bar patrons was like, I just want to show my dick. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering what you would think of that, that whole se- sequence. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like, just the police officers. Yeah. Um, police officer. Oh God. The police officers yeah. was, I, I was like, like thinking about you naked too. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm probably going to jerk off to that later. I'm like, ah. yeah. Um, and it, and it like, it was funny, but then it was like really sad. Cause I'm like, oh, cause we live. Um, and then this right. movie, this movie um, reinforces kill your queers, the yeah. kill your queers thing when they um, uh, blow off uh, Meat Sack's head or whatever. Yeah, it is which is sad because it's like, oh, now they've like confessed to each other and, you know, they can do whatever they want and, you know, they don't have to live this lie anymore. And then he gets killed. It is. Yeah, it's a bummer. Like, oh, even though he's gross and a terrible character and I hate, you know, police. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, this whole thing about wanting to plant stuff on him and, you know. What I thought was interesting, too, about it was the fact that, like, they, as I, I started, I started, like, really paying attention to the interactions after the doctor and it was like they were asking for permission so that's the other thing i think is one thing that we we look to the devil for is that he gives us you know he gives us we we are uh, we're assigning like oh we were under the influence of the devil we're we're giving um we give ourselves permission by saying that someone else gave it to us oh yeah definitely. released us of it and yeah so. yeah 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 which again is another concept i really like um you know it's it's sort of funny because i remember reading horns for the first time and um uh, sort of identifying a little bit with that and this is something if you talk to you know the squancher about um especially when we you know first got together now he's used to it but when we first got together and we'd go places and like total strangers would just start talking to me and telling me things, uh, you know, just stuff that's like, why are you talking to me about this? You know, it's like, <laughs> there's just something about like my vibe, my, my look that just, yeah. Um, you look like uh, you were going to give me permission to do something crazy. Well, it's not even that. Like Jeffrey thinks it's the Jesus thing. Um, he thinks it's, because like, <laughs> it's not necessarily bad. It's not like this where people are like, Oh, I want to kick my, child you know but they just feel comfortable to like tell me things you know that you you look like christ well that's what he thinks and i mean and other people have said that too it's like i just look like this person that people feel comfortable talking to about anything which is great and i 100 percent you know i've I've talked about this before it's why i'm pursuing you know you know this uh therapist route because i do i i really um vibe with that and um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. proud of that fact about myself that people feel you know comfortable to tell me things and and to seek my advice and seek Mm -hmm. my counsel i I relish that and um fully own that as my role in society and in my friend group and you know all of that so but you know reading this book and then watching the movie it's like kind of makes me reflect on that sort of thing about myself that yeah it's like really hard for me to go to a bar or go any place you know you say hi to somebody and then all of a sudden they just start talking to me about all kinds of things and i'm like wow okay sure we're having this conversation um but 
I, and I wrote down, uh, you know, one of my few notes, because again, I've, I've read this book several times and seen the movie a couple times. So it's not like I had a ton of things to needed to note. But, you know, do we really want to know what folks really think? Joe, do you would you want this power? Do you want people to tell you exactly what they think about you and others? I don't know. Um, it, it so it always kind of surprises me when people when people tell me that they think about me in in certain ways or they've had conversations about me or whatever because I I, I don't know and. I don't know how I came to be this way, but I kind of move through the world without really thinking that people are talking about me in that way. Mm-hmm. And it's been, it's been actually, I started to lean into it like maybe, you know, seven, 10 years ago. Yeah. Because it's like, I really don't need to know what other people think about me. Um, like I'm not someone who like, business. <laughs> exactly. I don't, I don't, I don't want to read other people's like emails, like about me or like leave a tape recorder in a room and listen to see if people talk about me when I leave. Like, I don't need to know that. Um, and I think it's more of just kind of like, you know, a protection thing, but I don't want to know that, but I do want to know their secrets. Like, so that's the thing is that like, I liked people being very forthright and honest about what it is that's on their minds, but that's what made the, like the most, one of the more disturbing parts of the film, um, besides the, you know, the sexual violence was the, was, uh, egg with his parents when he gets the horns and having those, you know, these people who in the beginning were very supportive and like looking back on it, I should have seen it coming because they were just like super duper supportive and like you know in outwardly well, publicly. To some extent, because they're saying like you know that we love you no matter what because they do believe it's very clear that they think he's guilty. But they're well, supportive. Uh, yeah, but they're supportive, but still like they're they and that's the other thing too is that like I would also like to believe for myself that like if I love someone no matter what that would mean you know the whole range of human experience and you know potential whatever would happen but i don't know about that either that really that's a very challenging notion as well and you bring it up you know you illustrate it beautifully with what you were saying about like you know the the what do you how do we deal with the parents of um with the parents of of people i say mainly white men who have committed you know, like atrocities who have committed right. these things. Yeah. Moving through um, this world, you know, where yeah. everybody feels entitled to to comment on your life if you're, even if you're not famous, but certainly if you're, you know, in that realm. Mm-hmm. You know, how, mm-hmm. do you, how do you walk through the world? How do you continue to live life? And mm-hmm. I think it's very, um, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's such, you know, I was kind of having a talk with a friend about this recently where, you know, there is something that, you know, we, you know, quoting Joan Didion, because this is, you know, we're being academic, you know, but we tell ourselves stories in order to live. Um, I think that's very true. You know, there are certain, there are certain truths about ourselves that we all live with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that are, that, you know, everybody's good, everybody's bad. There are things everybody's ashamed of or guilty of, um, you know, that are on a continuum, of course, of things that are good and bad, you know, and I'm not saying everybody's walking around having murdered somebody, you know, but, 
you know, mm-hmm. there are also things about our friends that, you know, we don't tell them brutally, honestly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and that's fine. Not everything, you know, not everybody needs to know everything about themselves or everything that other people think, <laughs> you know, because we love each other and we, you know, we want to be always supportive, but you know, I'm sure you could think of a handful of things about friends that you love. Not me, of course. Um, never, but, um, <laughs> never, you, know, but you go, I really fucking hate this thing about them, but I would never tell them because I love them and they don't need to know that thing. And see, I, and, and I, so I feel that way. I feel that yeah. way very deeply. And then I know that there are people also in my life who would be like, I love them so much that I'm going to tell them that this is where they're fucking up. Well, and it, well, it depends on what it is, you know? Cause I like, I mean, I definitely don't have like, I don't mind telling people things that I think are, um, blocking them from being having a more full experience of life to a certain extent you know and i've had that conversation i had a friend who early on in our relationship it's like anytime we had a conversation um would constantly interrupt and change the subject and really pissed me off and at first i thought well i I can i can deal with this um but then bringing that person around others and having them do that too and then people going i really hate that person behind there well not hate but i really don't enjoy when they're around because i can't have a conversation about anything because i'm constantly interrupted and the subject has changed so i did have a come to you know jesus moment i guess where i said (laughs) to this person when they did it again i said okay I have to say something to you because otherwise we cannot continue to be friends because we can't have a full conversation about any subject because you constantly interrupt and you change and you 360 like has nothing to do with the subject matter. And you have to stop doing this (laughs) like, because it really makes it feel like you don't listen to anything. Anybody else says that you were only concerned with your own thoughts and that's not how a conversation works. And that's not how society works. And that's not how friends work. We could talk about your thing, but let's get through one subject from beginning to end. How about, you know, and now things are way better. This was years ago. Now this was almost a decade ago, you know, that that conversation happened and that's, and it's great, you know? So I think it depends on what it is. So Joshua, what are you having for dinner tonight? (laughs) Exactly. But it wouldn't even be that. It wouldn't be asking me a question. It'd be like, Oh, so I was doing this thing. I'm like, wait, where are we? What are we doing? What are we talking about now? Um, you know, but there are other, you know, there are other truths that it's like, (laughs) does this Um, even matter? I don't want to upset this person with something that seems benign, you know, but if it's mm -hmm. not, if it's like really matters. And I think that's where we do owe each other as family members, chosen mm -hmm. family. We don't need to echo the same abuses and the same, you know, terrible things in our relationships that we might have with family. Cause you're just like, I'm just not gonna have this conversation because we're related. Fuck it. It doesn't matter. Well, don't emulate that with friends. Don't emulate that with people you choose to have around you. If they need to know something that's abusive or bad. So I, <laughs> where I get to this, where I, where I'm all, where I've seen a place of opportunity for me is when is people in like relationships because often, you know, as I was, I, I, there was a, there was a time when I was often um, asked counsel about relationship stuff or people would come to me with stuff. I always thought it was very strange and very ironic because like I was never, I've not been in a relationship until my current one. And so it's just like, you're asking me advice and I'm literally like the most outsider type of advice you can get. But I'm, but what I started you know, as you get older, as you know, life becomes more complex in such circumstances and people be, you know, reveal their complexities, you find that like, you know, I find that like, as people start to 
um, like end relationship that they've been in for a long time. And it's like, oh yeah, like I kind of, you know, he's seeing, I don't know if it's helpful if I say, oh yeah, I always kind of thought that, but like, I never thought to tell you like, oh yeah, I always kind of thought that they were a little distant or they were this, or, you know, that was very off putting, Mm -hmm. but it's also like, for me, I always think of things in terms of proximity, right? So it's like, if I, if I personally don't feel like I am close enough to you, like if I don't feel that we have that kind of closeness where I can say this to you and I would be secure enough in our friendship that we could move past it, then I'm less inclined to say anything, which, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Which to me is like, I really don't think, I, I don't think that there are, um, maybe five friends that I could do that to. Like I could maybe do that to less than uh, five or less, but there's a lot of people where it's like, I don't feel, even though it may seem that way that there is a closeness, I don't feel like there's that, um, familiarity that we could have. And, and that, and that always prevents me from moving in a way that is the most authentic also, because again, like I want to make sure that like, I don't lose you as a friend. And so if I, but at the same time, like, I, I, especially when it comes to relationships, like how, uh, barring anything related to like abuse and, right. and, and manipulations and gaslighting, I don't know, I'm not with someone 24 hours of the day. So it's like, I don't know how this person is at home. Maybe they're right. just like this, maybe. And there's so much, you know, more, maybe they just are really socially awkward and they just can't deal with other people or something like that. And I don't, I don't use that as a judge on anything. No. And Um, I think that's smart. And again, I think that speaks to, I mean, that's a huge conversation that they, you know, we can have mm -hmm. about, you know, healthy relationships and, you know, we don't need to be friends with everybody and, you know, Mm -hmm. we're not meant to be liked by everybody or to like everybody. I don't like everybody. So why should I was going to say like what that's, that's that meme, right? It's just like, you know, no one needs to like you. You don't even like everybody. Everybody, like yeah and yeah. that's fine like that's perfectly acceptable um you know i also think it's really unhealthy when couples only have friends in common you know it's like you should have your life i have my life you have your life we have our life that's healthy that's fine um you know i think it's worrisome if a friend has to sell you on their partner um you know you should like that person fine yes come to dinner go out to movies together but you know it's like and then if you don't like them then it's like okay well i don't like them because of yeah that's fine we can get along but yeah yeah like i said i mean i'm you know very particular so i get it if people are like no i don't like that guy you know and i don't care you know i mean again it's like it doesn't matter to me because of like Mm -hmm. you know what we're saying um Um, joshua is a whole other um, in in the interest of being um, further chaotic, um, is there anything that you would like to confess? Like if, <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, just in, just in general. Like I mean, like no, you know, I, I am so. I mean, I'm not. I'm not asking for anything salacious. Like I, no, I, I mean, the problem is, is I can't think of anything because it's like you know, again. I mean, I have said and done so many things. I'm very, like, I'm pretty open and self-aware. Like, I can tell you, I can give you lots of reasons to not like me. Um, and I'm fine with that. Like, you know, there are, like, it's, you know, life is messy and we are messy. You know, we're messy people, you know. But I have also, you know, been on stage and played, you know, lots of songs that kind of tell you 
the the shitty things I've done to people, you know, in ignorance, in, um, you know, we were kind of just talking about this on, on, a, on a group chat I have that, you know, like life is very messy and like the ideas of restorative justice are, are great because all of us kind of know that, you know, growing up in this culture with a lot of like things, conflicting you know, ideologies and, you know, we make a lot of really stupid mistakes when we're young, you know, and we hurt a lot of people on our way to figuring out ourselves. So, yeah. um, and I think that that, not that it's fine to do that society is sick. And so we reflect that back, you know, Mm -hmm. so we do, we make choices. And uh, again, I've written extensively about them and I talk openly about them. So (laughs) I don't think there's anything I can think to confess, um, you know, that it's like, yes, I'm as shitty as the next person can be. I'm also as wonderful and great and generous and, mm-hmm. you know, welcoming and a safe space for even more people than I've, I've ever had the opportunity yeah. to hurt, you know? Uh, so at least as far as I'm aware, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And again, yeah. that's one of those things where it's like, if I have friends who um, are endorsing my shitty behavior, <laughs> But again, I agree with you. Oh, that's what I was going to say. I think most people would agree with that, like five to 10 people in your life that you can really be 100% like brutally honest with and, and have that kind of openness. Um, again, I was ta- you know talking to a friend about this. And, you know, they told me they're like, I actually kind of always feel like I can be honest with you. And that I, that I just, my nature encourages that. And I would hope so. That is what I intend. I do mean for people to be able to be up front because I am, I am very, mm-hmm. everybody knows where I stand on anything and everything. And if I don't like you, I have no problem telling you. And I think that's fine. And people should be the same. <laughs> people should feel the same with me. <laughs> so if Jimmy Kins doesn't like me, <laughs> he's allowed. Um, well, I, I actually, I have a confession. Okay. Uh, this will be great for the last few minutes here. Since I was going to say, this will be the last few minutes. I So my confession is that I, when we met, the night that we met, I was, I was very afraid of you. Like, oh. I was, <laughs> I was very afraid of you. And I think I was, af- and like, I've reflected a lot about this, like, since, our, since our friendship, like, if you had told me 10, cause it was like just about 10 years ago, right? It was, if you had told me 10 years ago to the day that we would like be on this creative journey and have like over 130 something episodes of a podcast and like be intimately intertwined in each other's lives. I would, I, I don't think I would have believed you. <laughs> I would have been very surprised. And I think what, and this, and this, I do have a point and this does relate to to, um, uh, this does relate to the film is that I think what um, I saw was like this freedom that I had to be um, like unabashedly yourself and unabashedly who you were um, that I had not yet embraced from myself. Yeah. I have heard and, that from others. <laughs> yeah. And it was so interesting to like, to, have that experience because it's like, I didn't consider myself particularly gothy, but I also didn't consider myself like, you know, particularly anything, you know, like I, I was just like, you know, I'm just kind of this like amorphous blob that's like trying to figure out where it is that I fit in. (laughs) Um, and that's not a fat joke. That's just like, (laughs) that's just me. (laughs) But like, you know, I, I found, I found it very interesting. Like the, you know, the night we met and some of the early conversations that we had, like stick out in my mind very clearly because I remember thinking like, Oh my gosh, like this is, this is someone who is very 
clear in very specific ways about different things. Mm. And I feel like, um, I feel like I'm now just, I'm starting to get to that point where it's like, I'm, I'm so very grateful that we have continued to remain in contact. And because I don't think I would be um, the person that I am today without knowing you. you Oh, well that is super sweet, Joe. And I am very, must have been cold there in my shed. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I didn't, I would not have made that reference, but um, it is my personal philosophy to live my life in such a way that hopefully others do uh, feel courageous enough to do so. Um, Because yeah, you're, I mean, I, you know, I don't believe in an afterlife. I think this is all you get. Uh, so fucking live it. Don't <laughs> be bothered by what other people think about you. That isn't really your business. Also, remember that anybody who t- talks shit to you about others will talk about you to those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll talk shit about you to others. Uh, that is, I think, good advice. Um, that's why I t- really try not to talk shit. Like, if I say something about you, I will tell you to your face. I do really try to live that. I do, because it's just safer. Um, if somebody wants to walk out of your life, let them. Uh, especially if it's because they don't like who you're being, um, you know, that's fine. And that's, that's great for them. If you're a shitty person, they should leave you. Uh, but if you're great and they're not, and they want to leave you, Hey, fine, let them go. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) these Joshua's rules for living. (laughs) Yes. I'm going to make a, um, inspirational, uh, motto posters. Uh, but no, really, I think I, I appreciate you sharing that with me. And I think that that is wonderful, really. I mean, and that if I, if I do that for just you in life, then awesome. If I do that for many people, even better, I am unapologetically myself. And I think everybody should be, we have to be, um, to, to survive and to live as as freely as possible and that comes from satan so (laughs) (laughs) we have been given that permission by by lucifer so uh, at least according to these myths we've been reading today so all right well Oh my gosh, I really thought this was going to be like a quick 30-minute episode. Because oh, no way, no way. <laughs> explore here. Uh, but yeah, so... Hail Satan, buy our t-shirts. Show, Joe, I love you. I love you too, Joshua. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good, good night, dear listener. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. Geekscape Network. 